Watch It Out Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. I'm Carlos. I have no idea if the audio is working. Oh, yeah, it is. Perfect. <laughs> uh, I'm Carlos at Equity Brand. Joining me live is Avery at Brave Grapes. Go dogs. Greg at Banana Morphs. Go dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Angry Boy Matthew Hubertson at No Pit Stops. God, they fucking got away with it again. They and, fucking did it. And for the last time ever, Read at Pac-10. Read. Roll wave. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming at you live from Las Vegas a day after the Pac-12 championship game. We'll talk about Oregon's crushing, heartbreaking loss to Washington. We'll talk some other Pac-12 news like UCLA losing its defensive coordinator to USC. We'll talk about transfer stuff, all that and more. But first, shout out to you sickos joining us live on YouTube. Like the video, send us in your comments and thoughts. Subscribe to the channel. Podcast listeners, we have not forgotten about you. Thank you for tuning in once again. Be sure to follow the show and rate us five stars on Apple and Spotify. Another reminder that on Wednesday at 5 Pacific, me, Greg, Reed, maybe Avery, will recap the entire week's worth of Pac-12 basketball games on YouTube. Drop the episode on your podcast feeds on Thursday morning. And, of course, we've got bonus Pac-12 Patreon content over at NoTruckStuffs.com for $5. We pre- we'll be talking about the post-mortem of the Pac-12, all the other stuff that's been going on in the Pac-12. Do a quick little roundup. That will be on No Truck Stops for just $5.com. $5.com? <laughs> for $5 at NoTruckStops.com. Man, great start. Uh, let's talk about the game now. Let's Enough with the niceties, enough with all of the housekeeping. It's time to talk about that absolutely absurd football game that we watched last night, Friday night, at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Washington beats Oregon to win its first Pac-12 championship since 2018. It almost certainly clinches its first playoff berth since 2016 and finishes with 13 wins for the first time in program history. They did it off the backs of running back Dylan Johnson and wide receiver Jalen McMillan. Johnson ran for 152 yards, scored two touchdowns. Jalen McMillan led all receivers. He was in his peak form to gain 131 yards of offense uh, off nine catches. Washington goes on to beat Oregon for the second time this season, the third time in a row. We'll talk about the Oregon side of this in depth, uh, but let's start with Washington. Greg, we'll start with you. Uh, What were your takeaways from Washington's win over Oregon in the Pac-12 title game? My takeaways were that I owe Washington an apology. Yeah. Um, I was so sure that Oregon was a better team, and Washington proved beyond the shadow of a doubt to me that... They are a better team than Oregon. They dominated Oregon at the line of scrimmage. Dylan Johnson, I think, should have been the MVP of the game. He was incredible. He got every yard available. Uh, That was a great game from him. The receivers, like we've talked about before, they're incredible. But the big thing that was different in this game was the UW defense just stifled Oregon. Uh, The UW defensive line especially clearly better than Oregon's offensive line in this one and I don't think any of us expected that even people who picked or uh, picked Washington to win I think they would have expected Washington to lose that battle too so um she's very impressed with Washington and I feel better about them going into the playoff than I did before this week overall just a super impressive game from them Avery what about you what did you think of Washington's performance you were the only one to pick Washington Winners win. Winners win. That's what it comes down to. I mean, Washington has not looked great in a lot of their games this season, and that makes it hard to, like, trust this team. But when you do it 12 times in a row, that means something, and that was proven yesterday. I I feel great about Washington's hopes in the playoffs 
because they played a much better game than I was expecting last night, but also because winners win. It matters. Going undefeated matters. And just like Greg, I was so impressed with the defense. I was not expecting that. I thought if they were going to win this game, it was going to be because they're scoring on every single drive and Oregon's just not going to be able to keep up with that. But their defense, while it wasn't like an elite defense by any means, this was definitely their best defensive performance of the season so far. And I was really impressed. I, especially in the first half, that was very shocking to me what they were doing to Bo Nix and especially Bucky Irving. So, yeah, winners win. Go dogs. Winners win. Go dogs. Matt Hubertson, you were uh, you were big on the UW fraudulent train yeah, for quite a while. Tell us about that, it's, Matt. Bad things happen to good people all the time. <laughs> and in seeing UW win, good things happen to bad people all the time. And <laughs> it, was, it was very terrible. An awful experience overall in the stadium, around the stadium with all the people. Uh, couldn't stand it. Um, I really think... <laughs> I really think that that this is the most uh, clear opportunity where the meteor should have hit. And <laughs> overall, um, overall, I'm just upset with with the way that the universe proceeded yesterday. Yes, uh, that's really where I'm at. You don't think the undefeated team deserves to win the conference championship game? The first undefeated team in the Pac-12 I era. I don't think anybody in that stadium deserved to walk away. <laughs> <laughs> And carry wins and loses. I don't, I don't think they should have been allowed to walk away. Yeah. Reed, what about you? What did you think of Washington? Um, oh, man. I think, you know, Penix was a big part of this, right? I think we thought maybe there was something wrong with him. There's a lot of rumors about injuries. I mean, my first thing was, like, he played a good enough game to win, I think. Um, Rome showed up. Certainly, you know, it wasn't his loudest performance, but he's always there. And even if it didn't show up in the stat sheet, he was commanding a lot of attention, forced a few defensive pass interferences. Uh, the other guys, I mean, Jalen McMillan probably had his best game of the year. Um, Jalen Polk, who'd struggled the last few weeks, really showed up. But I think far and away, the biggest difference from the first Oregon-Washington game to this one was the lines of scrimmage and the rushing attack. Um, I mean, all of us walking out of that stadium, I think, felt like Washington actually probably controlled this game more than they controlled the game in Seattle. hundred percent. Um, yeah. Easily. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, I don't think anyone really would have guessed that based on what we saw the last six weeks, based on this being on a neutral site. Um, and especially the rushing attack is the thing that you'd think going to a neutral site, you know, you wouldn't improve on those numbers. Washington did. I don't know. I don't know exactly where that came from in some ways. Um, I think Tuli Latui Asanoa definitely was a little banked up early in the last matchup. Um, in this one, I think he definitely made a big impact. But Washington just showed up. They were flying around on defense, played a, with a lot more urgency early on, um, looked pissed off. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we all got to eat crow. Myself included. Like I do not need to eat crow. Washington, yes, Avery <laughs> does not need to eat crow. Um, but uh, I, I think this game made me think. It, it, I was talking with these uh, these folks uh, last night that it makes me reconsider the analytic argument that beating the shit out of bad teams is like predictive of what you're going to do against really good ones. We have now seen. I don't know. I'd say twice over the past five years. Teams that beat the shit out of good teams go into a title game and get their asses kicked by a team that maybe sleepwalks through some games and maybe sort of doesn't really always have its shit together or is just kind of mailing it in sometimes. Like, 
we we have two data points in the Pac-12 alone. Number one, Oregon, 2023, uh, where they beat the shit out of everyone on their schedule, and then Washington is sleepwalking through most of its schedule, and Washington beats the shit out of Oregon. And 2019. God when, damn it. I know yeah. This shit. 2019. God uh, damn it. On the other side. We don't need to talk about this, Carlos. <laughs> beating we don't sh- need to talk about this, Carlos. USC 2022 literally exists. We don't need to do the old shit. <laughs> no, they're, they, they're the opposite. Like, they are the team that did kind of struggle through everyone, and it turned out they were kind of fraudulent. 2019 USC beat the shit out of everyone. Uh, 2019, or- 2019 Utah beat the shit out of everyone. 2019 Oregon was kind of sleepwalking. They had that horrible game uh, against Arizona State. They don't look very good and then what happens in the title game Oregon beats the shit out of Utah and so like we have two of these data points now where we've sort of like the analytic systems prioritize beating the shit out of bad teams I don't think they prioritize it they give a lot of weight to that versus like just kind of sleepwalking through them whether you sort of win them or not um, and I, I'm just sort of of the opinion that like maybe that has led us astray that that analytic argument and that analytic philosophy has sort of led us astray to Look, uh, the reason I say all this is that, like, we missed on Oregon-Washington badly. I think four out of five of us thought Oregon was going to cover a a nine-and-a-half-point spread. But the power rating, that's because the power rating systems, the analytic systems, all had Oregon comfortably ahead of Washington. They all had, they all predicted that Oregon was going to pretty comfortably beat Washington. And they all missed. Everything missed. Um, and it was it was entirely contingent upon the fact that Oregon was beating the shit out of Oregon State and Washington needed a fourth quarter drive to beat Oregon State, right? Like that sort of stuff. But and, and go ahead. I mean, I think, you know, power ratings are asked to cover a lot of different things. Like we saw over the last six weeks, I mean, in terms of those ratings, like they got right the fact that Oregon is going to beat Oregon State by more than Washington is. Oregon's going to beat Arizona State by more than Washington is. But they don't factor in this head-to-head matchup as much. And it's been hit or miss throughout the Pac-12 on whether teams that are blowing out opponents are going to beat teams that are scraping by and winning. Uh, Like you said, like there's data points on both sides of that throughout the Pac-12 era. So to me, it boils down to more like, why was this matchup good for Washington? What, what yeah. advantages did they have over Oregon? Um, and I think, you know, the clear one was part of that line is, is I, you know, we talked about it. Like I think at least three points is people didn't think Penix was right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and I don't feel horrible about that assumption. I mean, there was a lot of data and just subjective observations <laughs> of him, what, whatever he was doing in that little equipment cart, that made you think maybe he wasn't. He showed up and did well. He threw up in the game. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I, but I also think it's sort of like the other part of this and the reason why we sort of missed on this uh, is that Oregon was beating the sh- And we'll get to Oregon more in depth. Uh, Oregon was beating the shit out of uh, teams in large part because their lines were dominating everyone. Washington's lines pushed around or I have not seen Oregon get pushed around on the lines like that since like 2014 Ohio state like or 2015 I guess in the 2515 title game it was it was bad Penix had so much time to operate back there and he made a few moves himself to try to get himself out of trouble which is like honestly 
that him moving around in the pocket and being able to evade defenders the way that he did was really impressive, but it was the lines that really Dylan Johnson getting a push and getting extra yardage. I mean, it felt like most of his yards were like line yards. Yeah. He had but, a lot of holes to run through. Yeah. yeah. It, it was, you know, Penix getting a ton of time on the other side of it. It felt like Bo Nix was getting pushed out uh, of the pocket and made a little bit uncomfortable. Braylon Trice. Braylon Trice. Yeah. Braylon Trice was a fucking nightmare for Oregon. It was like, I think it's the most dominated we've seen Oregon's lines be since, you know, the start of the Mario Cristobal era. Well, like it's- I, I, I just, and, and Reed, when he talks about like, what about this specific matchup, Washington was not able to stop Utah running the ball. Washington, like Utah was able to move the ball up and down the field on this Washington team and Oregon in every way, regardless of metrics, I test or anything else is a massively better offense than Utah. And so when you're coming into this game and you see such a poor performance out of the Oregon offense and such a just, I mean, Washington didn't do anything special defensively. They just showed up and beat their ass. Like that to me is where you look at this and like, I, I agree as far as obviously the metrics didn't make any sense, but neither did the eye test. Yeah. yeah. Well, well I th- there's th- a comment here from T dog four, two, five. He says, uh, Washington's run game didn't come alive until the second half of the season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dylan Johnson. Uh, I, I, uh, he is, he is, uh, he's a great running back. Uh, but I also am just like, he's a bad one. Stop saying that. <laughs> Stop saying that. Is he the, the best worst running back I've ever seen? He, he did. He was magnificent in this game. Uh, it was, not, it was not just line yards. Like he was not just finding holes. He was just like burrowing over dudes and falling forward like three or four extra yards like every single time it felt like. He was unbelievable in this game. And I feel like that was another part of it is I've, I've never seen Oregon like tackle so poorly this whole season. That was the worst tackling performance from Oregon that I've seen all season. Um, it was they had a hard time bringing down Dylan Johnson. It was he was awesome. He was a magnificent player and he made Oregon look silly. I need to step in here. Dylan Johnson stepped up when Michael Penix was looking like poorly. It's true. I think it's pretty clear that the first half of the season, Michael Penix looked like at his top notch, like as healthy as he could be. And because of that, they didn't need to have a run game. They were playing teams that they could use their wide receivers that are better than everyone else to win. They, They were playing USC ball. But when Michael Penix was starting to play more injured, like they needed to have some sort of run game, which is why I'm really impressed with the coaching staff because like they actually made that happen. Whereas like a lot of teams don't, but he's good. Yeah. He, he, he's, he's Greg good. said it the whole game. He has great vision. Like, obviously, the offensive line was helping out a ton, but they're bad quarterbacks run into their offensive linemen. So, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think we should call him a bad quarterback after no, this, no. Game, right I, back after this game. No, no. You just can't. But it's just like when you watch Dylan Johnson, you're like, I, I'm not really impressed by this, but he's falling forward three, four I was yards. impressed I by was it. Impressed. He was, I was impressed <laughs> last night. He was Absolutely. the best running back in the game. Like, Bucky Irving was on the other side of the ball, and he looked better than Bucky Irving, which obviously isn't just Bucky Irving's fault. Comment. But, there's a comment from Sean Cross. He reminded – this went around on Twitter this morning, people resurfacing this. Dylan Johnson transferred from Mississippi State because Mike Leach said he wasn't tough and he was the backup. All-time back fumble. Yeah, in his transfer – like his little transfer graphic said, uh, I'd like to thank all my coaches, blah, 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 and then said – uh, given all that and given that Mike Leach said I'm not tough enough and that he's glad to see me gone, uh, I will be entering the transfer portal. Fuck Mike Leach. I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> uh, T-Dog said in the chat the time of possession was a big part of it. What what was the stat in the first quarter? Like oh, 11 ridiculous. minutes to one? Yeah. It was crazy. It was 13 crazy. to one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was absurd. Like Washington came out and they controlled the 
ball from the start and like not to bring up Utah football, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. Time of possession is, was a huge part of this game and they it got away from them in the second half. But I think that like really gave them the edge in the beginning there. Yeah. I mean, time of possession, I feel like is, you know, one of those <laughs> controversial stats that I'm like, ah, oh, you're not sure. How, but in this game it did, right. You got to watch the game and this game, it, it actually mattered because it was uh, Washington going on a brutally long drive. I think that ended in a field goal. And then the second drive, uh, Oregon goes three and out. Uh, off three straight Bo Nix passes. We'll get to that. We'll get to that in a little bit uh, later. And then Washington goes on another tough, brutally long drive for a touchdown that time, I think. Um, so yeah, that was a big part of this game was Washington just kind of controlling it. I mean, Washington controlled this game generally. This game had the same feeling as it did in part one where Washington kind of got up ended up controlling the game sometime late into the third quarter. Oregon claws its way back, takes a lead, and then Washington puts them away late. Like, it had the same exact feel in a completely different chaotic way. Like, it was like, this was not, if the, if Oregon had come back and won this game, it would have been like, that's one of the greatest games I've ever seen. But not, like, pure quality, because we also had that moment where Michael Penix throws a pick, uh, and then on the very <laughs> next play, Bo Nix throws a pick. That's just Pac-12 <laughs> ball. That's just that Pac-12 ball. peak Pac-12 after dark. Just one more Pac-12 after dark to send us off. Um, so, you know, it wasn't like a super cleanly played game, but it was super chaotic. And Washington prevailed. Um, and they, they, they looked good doing it. Defensively, I thought Washington was far more impressive than, than I... This is the best they've looked all season, honestly. 100%. By yeah. far their best game. Yeah, by far. Just... They're, they were swarming. It felt like they were super active, super locked in. I don't know, Reed. What did you see with Washington's defense? Yeah, I think, I mean, if you want, like, explanations, what we talked about, and, and I talked about this for the past few weeks, I think a big difference between these two teams is, like, Oregon's offense is great. I mean, it, it has been a top-five offense in the country all year, but part of why it works is because it, it functions on needing to average, like, six yards per carry. And that's yeah. a big ask, you know, <laughs> and they actually, they did that in Seattle and there's every reason to think they might be able to do it again on Friday. It didn't show up. And that, you know, when that isn't there, when the easy yards aren't there for Oregon, the offense kind of loses answers. Uh, it's not able to manufacture much in terms of explosive plays at times. It's just wired not to take those shots. Um, for the great wide receivers it has, it doesn't have a guy like Rome that's just like throw it up to him and he's probably going to get it every time. Um, so I think that's a big contrast here, whereas like Oregon needs to win the line of scrimmage to dominate games and to move the ball. Washington just needs to break even to do those things. Yeah. You know, if, if they just have any time, their offense can function without dominating up front. Um, and then I think... Yeah, a, a, a huge part of it was that first quarter. Um, I mean, not this isn't an excuse at all, but in terms of explanations, like Oregon got banged up early in this game. Jordan Birch went down on the first series for Washington. Um, Oregon's been super lucky with injuries all year, you know, and, and that kind of caught up to them. And that was immediately compounded with Washington really executing well to start the first quarter, ranking up a... 13 minute advantage in time of possession and a lot of Oregon defenders on the front line down a body or two having to play extra snaps. And I think that that war and compounded on Oregon throughout the rest of the game where Washington just was the team that was able to kind of continue to grind and push forward. 
And when push came to shove late in the fourth quarter, when they needed that drive to put 34 on the board or they needed the final first down, Washington got those runs with Dylan Johnson because of all the equity that they'd built up by controlling the ball and running against Oregon's front the entire game before that. Yeah, and and like the way that Washington just bottled up uh, Oregon's run game made it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it turned. It was it was a net. It was a net zero. They added absolutely nothing. We'll get to Oregon. I, I think I, I think we all have some quiz about quips about Oregon's run game from the Oregon perspective, but from the Washington perspective. Hearing all the noise about Buck Irving is the best running back, maybe the best offensive player in the Pac-12, him dominating teams the way they did, and he got nothing going. I think he had, like, what, five carries for 30 yards? Nine like, carries for 20 yards. Nine yeah. carries for 20 yards. Um, they He got absolutely nothing going. On the edges, they tried to get Buck Irving going on the edges. Nothing there. Um this was an uh, unbelievable performance from why they played out of their minds defensively, out of their fucking minds defensively. It was, um, it was incredible. It was fantastic. I, I felt like it was, I, this makes me, this makes me think that like, I, I don't know all this. Washington really was sleepwalking. Washington really was just kind of playing around and playing with its food. And that's dangerous. You might lose a game or two here, or there, but they didn't. And so it doesn't matter because they've, uh, they've survived. And, and I don't know, I guess I'm, before we go into Oregon here, I'm curious Let's I could talk about Washington. I am not a truck stop football consumer <laughs> whatsoever. Get ready to learn Midwest football. <laughs> uh, oh, remind me to add to the show notes. Uh, Kenny Dillingham hiring Marcus Arroyo, oh. by the way. <laughs> Uh, that, we'll, we will talk about that. Let's hold off on that for a moment. Y'all are too mean to Dilly. Uh, hell. Uh, but I'm curious. I can, we can start with Matt uh, uh, here on this one. Do they have a chance at winning a national championship? Do you feel like with the teams and the landscape of college football right now, we talked, you, you and Reed have talked about, well, this is a good opportunity for Oregon to win a national championship. Well, now Washington's 13-0. They've come out unscathed. Do you think Washington can win a national championship this year with the teams that are probably going to join them in the playoff? See, what's great about this is I get to play both sides and I can say that I can give you a real answer or I can give you the answer that UW fans want me to give because I've picked against them all year. (laughs) So I am Greg here. I am playing both sides. (laughs) Honestly, yeah. Like, especially if they are able to play that game and you talk about peaking at the right time, I there's not a team that will blow them out if they play like they did yesterday, 100%. They're absolutely going to be in every game. And, yeah, if McMillan is healthy and Odunze is going to be the best player on the field, like they right now have an extremely balanced offense top to bottom. And that is incredibly difficult to stop. That's what we thought Oregon was coming into this game with. Yeah, And so I – yeah, I absolutely believe in Washington to be able to go and win two games, 100%. Yeah, and... and They won't. To, I'll pick against them. Don't worry. But, <laughs> and to your point, one thing I didn't, I completely forgot to mention is that Jalen McMillan was... This is He looked 100% healthy. An unbelievable player. I know I kind of if go with the meme. else but you talks about that, I'm good with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it. It felt like, you know, it really did. I, okay, I'm just going to say, I've had this uh, bit. That's not a bit. I don't know. I think he I might believe it now. It's a bit. Yeah, I knew it was a fucking bit. I, I think I might believe, believe it now. Uh, that Jalen McMillan was actually better than Roma Dunze. Rome was better in that game. No, he was not. He was just quieter, which no, is crazy because he, he had over 100 yards. He's he not. Like three pass interference penalties. <laughs> he had a 100% success rate. He was um, amazing. Yeah, so it was Jalen McMillan. Jalen 
amazing. I mean, he was Jaylen amazing. Jalen McMillan dropped was, a touchdown so, in that game. Somebody who hasn't, hasn't watched film That's today. ridiculous. Okay, anyway, but back to this idea of Washington being able to win a national championship. Greg, let's go to you next. Uh, you're also a truck stop enjoyer. Uh, do, you, do you feel like Washington can win a national championship? I think that when you have a player as good as Roma Dunze and you have a quarterback as good at getting him the ball as Michael Penix is, you have a chance against anyone, like Matt said. I think UW is built so that... I think they're kind of like what people thought 2022 uh, USC was before they got exposed, uh, and that, like, hey, with that offense, you know, it doesn't matter if they come up against a much more balanced team in terms of, like, defense and offense. They can they can score on anyone. It doesn't matter the defense, they can score. Uh, but I worry about Georgia, because... Georgia's offense, I think, is pretty fucking electric as well, and they've also got a defense. I think I think I'm going to pick Washington against Michigan, though. Like I think I'd <laughs> yeah. pick Washington to make the national cha- national championship game right now, and that Georgia game could be a classic still. So, I mean, it's not impossible. It's absolutely not impossible for Washington to win a national championship. Reed, I know this pain. I went to you last because I know it pain you to, to potentially admit this, but you think Washington can win a national championship? I think, yeah, I think they can. Um, I don't, I don't love the chances of it. I'll be honest. I think that they are going to have to pull off some upsets to do that. But I like the fact for them that they have answers on offense, right? Like in a game where it's a stalemate, where, where they are at least holding their own or maybe a little behind on the line of scrimmage. At least there's answers there for how they can generate offense. DeBoer's a really good coach. I think the question for me, well, first I also have to say like Michael Penix having a month off is huge, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, totally. If he, he's actually hurt. We don't know that he is. He threw up on the sidelines again. Yeah. Like, he's dealing with... He's, I, he's I got it, long COVID or some shit. I mean, like, I, I, long... Are you... I, the, that fl- the flu that's been going around college football and decimating the entire sport. Like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's he, kicking his ass, could, at least. I guess so, yeah. I mean, And it's just weird that... It, I don't know. It feels like for two months now, he's been sick, apparently, or hurt or something. Maybe he is. Maybe he is. I don't know. Maybe, But definitely the month off might help. But I think for me, it comes down to what what is Washington actually on the line of scrimmage? And I mean, how good is the Oregon team that they played on the line of scrimmage? Cause going into this game, we thought Oregon was really good on the lines. Washington won that matchup on Friday. Um, they certainly made me think a lot higher of those units than I did going into it. Um, the question is like, okay, so Washington is right above Oregon. Where do Michigan and Georgia fall in that? Do Michigan and Georgia, reach another level where they're able to blow Washington off the ball. Like we've seen, sadly, those truck stop juggernauts do against Pac-12 teams in a playoff scenario before. I don't know. Um, I, I Again, I mean, DeBoer is clearly a hell of a coach winning 20 straight games. Like, it's been crazy. Uh, and I like that they have answers. I don't know. I, there are a lot of teams that are fucking around this year too, quite honestly, <laughs> like Michigan just hangs around in every game and just kind of is like waving the baby in front of the pit bull or whatever, like <laughs> and Washington's offense is going to be happy to take shots and get a lead there. Like, I don't know. I, I just, um, I think they have a chance, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick them against, the, against anyone, but like Texas probably or Florida state. Yeah. You'd pick them against Texas. 
Texas just scored 35. In the first I would half. take <laughs> Texas over uh, over Washington right now. Are y'all just being big haters again, or is I don't you know. genuinely they're, believe that? They're close. They're very I think close. The Texas defense is really good. Okay. Okay. Um, before we move to Oregon, Grace, you had something you wanted to add here. Yeah, I think before we move on, we should all go around the table, starting with Greg, and say, I was wrong about Washington. <laughs> I was wrong about Washington. Go I've, dogs. I've literally never been wrong, so no. Say it. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> was- <laughs> yes, I was wrong about Washington. I was wrong about Washington as well. I will say though, like I we talked about this. Yeah, a lot. we did. I, I argued for Washington. You were better. I, I thought Oregon should be favored in this game, but I, I said Washington absolutely has a shot, and especially in a close game, like I I knew I was going to be nervous as hell. Uh, I thought that this game either Oregon was going to cover or Washington was probably going to win out right if it was close and they matched them on the lines. And that's exactly what happened. I know people scoff at like the bulletin board material and the energy thing, but like, I do think that was a big catalyst, which is unfortunate because you should never allow a 12 and 0 team to feel like an underdog. <laughs> like they should not have had this opportunity to look at the way that everyone was talking about UW as fraudulent and use it to get up in the morning and play like this. Like, I definitely think Washington was the better team here, but like the energy had an impact and that was very clear, which is absurd considering they haven't lost a game this year. Have we considered, have we considered that Washington was simply sandbagging to generate this bold, bold board opportunity. <laughs> I, I have seen chest, the sandbagging chest, theory. Not um, one last thing before we move on. We'll move on to Oregon right now and do a little porch modem on them. Uh, Locust094 says, can we talk about how the Washington band outplayed the Oregon band? Seems like one band only knew two songs and the other had an all-time showing. We were at this game, yeah. so we watched. We did watch the halftime show. Mm-hmm. Do we have any thought? Washington's band was amazing it's by the way it's not a shocker though like, they do Washington have one of, has the best band in the conference they don't no they don't but yes they do it's incredibly <laughs> clear i mean i'm not a band expert but like i, I am as of five minutes ago yeah okay, <laughs> okay buddy. that's that's a man uh, for you no, uh, it's very clear. <laughs> they have more music the way they move looks better like they actually dress for the part that's a big critique i have about bands is bands that wear athletic gear don't fucking do that. You look dumb. Stanford's band. Stanford's band not wearing a leg. Stanford's, Stanford's band, band are fucking posers. Stanford, <laughs> Stanford's band is a theater kid uh, version of band. Like they're doing <laughs> performance art. They're not doing marching band stuff. Like Washington has the best traditional band in the Pac-12 on the West Coast, and I like feel very confident saying that. I, I would. I would put. Both USC and, you don't and know UCLA. Shit about shit. USC? USC only plays one fucking song. USC? It's a troll job. C. It's a troll job. No, it's fantastic not. Trolls. They think they're better than everyone else. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> let's move on to talk about Oregon. Uh, Oregon drops uh, its second straight game to Washington. They are over. No, yeah, third straight game to talk about. Yeah, just this season. Uh, they're 11 and 2 on the season. Uh, they got worked on the lines, never really established a run game, had a difficult time stopping UW's offense. Lots of things went wrong in this one, but Reed, let's start with you. What did you think of Oregon's performance? Oh, God. I mean, where do I want to start here? I guess what I talked about before, really, Oregon's offense functions on winning the line of scrimmage, rushing for six yards plus to create everything else in the offense. They didn't do that. Um, I definitely didn't think Bucky looked a hundred percent. That's just the reality of it. Um, and given that I thought it was a real shame that Oregon only gave 
Jordan James, five carries on the day. He, yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. Bad decision. He was rush, rushing for seven yards per carry on a very small sample size. Who knows what that would have looked like um, over a larger sample, but they needed something else. Bucky, especially given his style, you know, he's improvisational. He oftentimes doesn't run to the hole or where the block it, blocks are set up to go. And it works out when he has that burst, when he makes a man miss. But when he didn't have that clearly last night, for whatever reason, uh, Washington was just swallowing him up all game. Given that, I that just kind of took away some answers. I thought... Oregon's offense responded, obviously, in the second and third quarter. Um, but those drives were painful uh, and by the skin of their teeth. I mean, yeah, Terrence Ferguson catch one handed at the end of the half on third and goal, a fourth, fourth and goal. He caught early in the third quarter to keep Oregon alive. Um, you know, the the late touchdown of Trayshawn Holden felt like a fluke in some ways um, or just not repeatable. Exactly. Not what Oregon was producing the whole game. So disappointing for sure um i mean i think oregon fans going into this game this was a top five oregon game of my lifetime um it was in terms of importance yeah in terms of importance entering it um and that comes from the fact that this is right in the pantheon of the best oregon teams we've ever seen most oregon fans would say going into this game at least and it won't be remembered that way because they didn't win a pac-12 title they lost two games by three points. Um, but so much of this team for a long time looked very complete, looked like a juggernaut, looked like a team that had a chance in a playoff. Um, and so for all of that to fall away in 60 minutes was brutal. I think, yeah, I think it started really bad for them, right? Like just falling behind in time of possession, falling behind, having two, three and outs, starting really slow on offense realizing you couldn't run the ball for whatever reason in this game. And a lot of credit to Washington for that, obviously. Um, that was just kind of a stunner, I think, to most Oregon fans. Uh, and yeah, bad vibes from the start because yeah. of that. Horrendous vibes from the start. I, uh, malpractice. I think like we, we went back and forth and, and fought about uh, Oregon's decision making against Washington in the first game and you know Dan Lanning having a pretty pretty poor or you know maybe it was a good defensive game plan we had many debates about that many arguments about it I don't think that there's an argument that the offensive load and the way it was distributed uh, was mismanaged poorly uh, Jordan James looked Good. And, the t and, and he, he didn't have, you're right, Reed. We don't know how that'll scale if you give him 10 more touches or 15 more touches or whatever. But clearly he was the better option at running back. Maybe Bucky Irving was banged up. Maybe he was not feeling well. Maybe he got hit with the flu, but he was, he was out of it. Uh, Jordan James, every time he touched the ball, felt like it helped Oregon do something. And he got five touches in this game. Um, six. six, yeah, with the catch. Uh, and, and on the catch, he had... 30, 30 yards. yards. Yeah. Yeah. So six touches for <laughs> 65 yards is what he got. He got six touches. Uh, Bucky Irving, nine carries, 20 yards. I, I think not leaning on the run game. It felt like Oregon was like, 
I don't know. If, it felt like they were down. They they were playing as if they were down by thirty most of this game, where it was like leaning heavily on Bo Nix to try to create something, and sometimes he did, but oftentimes he did not. Right? It felt like the roles were sort of reversed, where it was like you know we talk about Michael Penix, and it's like he's going to take deep shots downfield, and then you know, but if he doesn't convert, you get them off schedule, and like maybe your defense kind of comes up with a stop because you know they throw the they throw it three times and they go three and out, and that's like you know that that kind of ruins Washington's momentum offensively. That literally happened to Oregon a couple of times in this game and to start the game it was Bo Nix dropping back to pass three times already sets them on a on a horrendous uh tone here they start with three straight passes they're all incomplete and uh Oregon has to punt after a brutal drive from Washington like that that sort of decision making was just it was baffling. You know, we was like not to sound like a old head Twitter user, but like run the goddamn ball. Uh, you've got, you, you've got some talent there. And Jordan James is honestly, Jordan James is as good as any running back in the, in the pac 12 easily. Like, I don't think he's that far behind Bucky Irving. I think he's right up there with some of the best running backs. His numbers say that he's up there with some of the best running backs in the pac 12. He should have gotten more touches. So that's like the big one where I'm like, man, you know, and then we can talk about their defense, but like it really felt like Oregon's offense was the thing that lost them this game. But Greg, what did you think of Oregon's performance in this one? I wonder, and maybe this is just me being dumb, but I wonder if this is a game where we saw the downgrade from Kenny Dillingham to, to Will Stein. Because I think Kenny Dillingham is a much better play caller when things are bad like when your offensive line's getting beat when your offense is in the mud i think he's a lot better at breaking out of that rut and will stein struggled with that like i'll give him some credit there were some play calls that i loved uh one in particular didn't work but i thought it was a great call was late in the second half third and nine qb draw and it was a great look for it, it was gonna work except braylon trice <laughs> read it brilliantly abandons his tackle that's blocking him, comes across, makes the tackle in the hole, saves it. Uh, and that, I think, was a good microcosm for the game. It's just every time Oregon even did something well, it looked like UW was there for it still. It was it was not a game where you could ask UW to beat themselves, and Oregon definitely needed that with the way they looked. Um, I still think Will Stein's a great offensive coordinator, but there are still some issues. He's not... He's not what Kenny Dillingham was, I don't think, uh, which is an issue. And we'll talk a little bit more about Dillingham <laughs> later in the yeah. show. But uh, but as a play caller, you're totally right. Like I can remember several times last season where it was like Oregon desperately needs something. I felt like what they called was like a very clever Bo Nix run, and they got five, six yards when they needed to every single time. But And then you look at what Dillingham did with ASU this year. He fucking had a whole game of we really fucking need this and he got it. Yeah. You know? yeah. He has and, he has no shame. I mean <laughs> Dilly, <laughs> like, it's rare that you find a football coach who is as unstubborn as Dilly is. If something's not working, he has a very clear mind, abandons it, says fuck it. Let's do a swing gate. Like why yeah, not? Yeah. If it works, I'll call it. I don't care <laughs> what anyone thinks about that. And I think contrasting that Stein, you know, I don't know if it's a referendum at, on him as a whole or he's young, he can grow, whatever. But in this game, like it certainly was when, when the structure of the offense wasn't there, what we thought Oregon was best at wasn't there. There weren't any other answers manufactured for them. Um, 
And I, I think it's fair to say Dilly might have been able to come up with more of those. Avery, what did you do? You, do you do you have similar feelings about Oregon's offense? Do you want to switch over the defense? What do you want to go with Oregon's performance here? Well, we talked a little bit about like blowing out bad teams and like how that makes power ratings look. But I I want to defend Oregon there. You play the schedule that's put before you. You can't change that. And I think in a lot of ways, not playing the best teams in the conference can hurt you and your growth over the season. And it's not like UW was playing juggernauts every week. Like they had close games against Stanford and ASU. That's embarrassing. But they did play some of the better teams in the conference, and that probably impacted like how they grew as a team. And Oregon just didn't get that. Oregon was not playing great teams, so they didn't face like difficulties and had to like change paths and try different things because the only hard games they played this year were against UW. The Oregon State game wasn't difficult. Like Jonathan Smith was out the door for that. Literally game. got announced I, the next morning. Like I, I Michigan State think, put out a statement the next morning. I mean, morning. I don't want to use that as an excuse for why Oregon State lost because I think Oregon would have won that game regardless, but it wasn't as difficult as it could have been if he was actually coaching that game the way he should have been as their coach. That's a whole other issue. But I, I think that definitely impacts Oregon like in their play calling when things aren't going right, switching gears and trying something new because they haven't had to do that all season. And so it's hard to be like, well, they should know now, even against Washington the first time, like they weren't facing these, this uphill battle against a defense that was actually giving them problems. They were scoring well for the most part. So it's hard for me to be like super angry at Oregon here. I think the Jordan James thing is definitely the most frustrating because Bucky obviously wasn't getting anything. And instead of saying, okay, let's just not fucking run because this isn't working, maybe try a different running back that doesn't look banged up. I don't know. I, I have a hard time being angry at Oregon because you are playing a top five team. Like Washington is one of the best teams in the country. I think a lot of people saw Washington as fraudulent and they shouldn't see that way anymore. But this is like the most quality win you could have on one of the biggest stages in yeah. college football. And mm -hmm. you can't be angry at Oregon for losing this. Yeah, and that's right. I also wonder about the point about their, their schedule and stuff. I think it's weird that like for some reason it just sort of worked out that – Oregon played teams after Washington played them. <laughs> like Washington played Oregon State first, uh, and Washington played Utah first. No, Washington, Washington played Utah after. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Uh, Washington played. I think it was USC first. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of just a weird wrinkle. Arizona State, Washington played. Uh, I don't think Oregon did. Oregon played Arizona State. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah they, Washington played Arizona State before Oregon. So I don't know. Just kind of a weird coincidence that we saw many of those things. That, who knows? Who knows what happened in any of those games? But uh, Matthew Hubertson, what did you think of Oregon's performance here? Um, it just, it, it, it reeked of being off schedule <laughs> yeah. from, from play one where this has been such an incredibly efficient offense all year. They were still able to hit their explosives in this yeah. game with, especially, you know, coming out of the half, but it, it, the second they got off schedule, they, they struggled. And that is absolutely a credit to this Washington run defense. Um, and I think really the biggest difference is that every time Washington tried to stay on schedule and run the ball, they got four or five yards and were on schedule and had their full playbook available. And every time Oregon ran the ball, they got one or two yards and, and just were not able, even in your second and tens, they were not able to get into manageable, flexible situations. And that really hurt them, especially when so much of their offense is based on getting athletes in space and being spread out it's really hard to throw a pass behind the line or throw a pass within five yards when you're on a third and 10. Yeah. And, and I think that that is, is really, really what ultimately doomed 
Oregon. I thought they did a fine job defensively, frankly. Like, yeah, we got to talk really, about that. I don't know. It's it was kind of a weird game from them defensively. I, I just you're just not. It, Washington is a great offense. You're not gonna. I don't think that you can reliably hold any competent college football offense to less than 25 points. And so if they're a great offense, you hold them to 35, like that to me feels like what they should roll out of bed and do offensively. And so I just, I really think that this came down to Oregon wasn't able to score 40 and that's where the game was lost to me. And, and I think that like the comments about Stein comments about obviously Bucky Irving are all very valid. There was a little bit of just big game bow in this. Like he was leaking out. I've never seen him leak out of the pocket on every single play like he did in this game. Some of that was obviously the pressure, but there was plenty of times that I thought that he didn't need to leak out and he did. So it, yeah. it was just it, it, overall, like this was about five steps back of where this offense has been all year. Yeah. It also felt like. Bo was looking for Troy Franklin to be a safety blanket. You know, like mm-hmm. there were so many times where he would just like things would be going bad. He'd look over to where's Troy, where's Troy? He's there, I throw. But Washington had Troy Franklin fucking blanketed the entire night. I, yeah. I just absolutely so well covered. Was it Jabbar Muhammad on coverage uh, for the most part? Because whoever was doing it nailed it. And, uh, it was, I don't know, it's disappointing to see from Troy, too. Yeah. Because you need him to be generating separation in a game like that when he is the guy that you turn to when things are going badly. He's supposed to be your Bolitnikoff finalist. He's not a Bolitnikoff finalist, but a lot of Oregon fans said he should have been. And he might have lost it. He argue, might have validated it this game. after this game. Yeah. yeah. Um, nine targets, four catches, 34 yards, 33% success rates when uh, when Troy Franklin is targeted. Uh, so nine nine targets there. Kind of brutal. What were you going to say, Reed? Well, yeah, it's important to note that's after he went for 154 and a touchdown in Seattle earlier yes. this year. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think for as much as you talk about the run game, that was a huge part of this too. And you could certainly make the argument that those are highly correlated, right? If you're running the ball better, you can't give as much attention to Troy. That opens things up, certainly. Um, I, In general, I'd push back on the fact that Oregon was able to generate explosive plays. I think so many of them came off script in this game it was 100 percent. yeah i mean it yeah. was the bonix 40 yard run Cle- you know clearly just went out to the side and then it, no one's home over there let me just kind of skirt down the sidelines um only you know, two explosive Tez- plays by the way for yeah. washington that's three percent fourth percentile pretty bad yeah right yeah not that washington was was getting huge ones either but i think they washington lived in that 10 to 20 to 25 yard range a lot more. they looked like Oregon. yeah they got nine to 11 um, yards anytime they wanted. right yeah it was a <laughs> but, lot like oregon this was the arizona game plan it felt like uh, yeah. for washington yeah but oregon like their other explosives were tez had a you know weird play where he slithered through a few defenders Treshawn holden had the last minute touchdown that was a bit of a you know weird scenario at that end of the game uh jordan Jordan. james hit that one wheel route and that was it you know there troy wasn't there and troy's the guy who gets a lot of those gets behind the defense um so not having those explosives when you don't have a very good run game your offense isn't going to do very well um and i think on that point i feel you know, I feel like Washington played better than they did in Seattle, controlled this game more, but I have a similar takeaway that I think Oregon's defense didn't play perfect, but the offense we thought should be able to score yeah. 35 to 40 
points, you know, and that would have been enough to win this game, especially if they execute early in this game. Washington probably doesn't get to 34 on their side if Oregon strings together drives in the first quarter like we would have expected them to based on what they've done all year. So um, this is a lot on the offense for me. I thought the defense had a pretty valiant effort. Not perfect, but given what Washington did, um, that's where I'm at. I, I think we're letting the defense off the hook a little bit. I, the, the passing game, for sure. Like Michael Penix is going to get 300 yards, it feels like, every single game. Roma Dunze is going to get 100-plus yards in receiving yards. Jalen McMillan, like now that he's healthy, was always a lethal guy, always at least on the level of a Roma Dunze. Um, and, and he was back. He was completely healthy. It felt like for the first time in eight weeks, it felt like. Um, the, the problem is, is that they gave up 152 yards to Dylan Johnson on the ground. At a, and it was their most successful day uh, among all of the players and their touches. He had the highest success rate of anyone who got meaningful play, right? 61% success rate uh, on Dylan Johnson touches. Uh, EPA per rush was 86th percentile, much higher than their EPA uh, on dropbacks, which is 50, 65th percentile. This was a better running team. We, we do have to have a conversation about what the hell happened to Oregon's defense. No, I'm hearing that what, having a good offensive line does something. No, right. I'm also hearing that Oregon's defensive line is maybe not as good as we thought. Like, How I, good did you think they were? I, I, I was told that they had three all-conference first-teamers. Two. But, two, <laughs> one of which was out yeah. for the entire yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think, think should have been. But here's the thing is that like they got pushed. They did get pushed around, I, and they had they put up very little resistance to Washington's run game. Like Washington has not had as good of a run game I, this I, game. So I think they're getting off a little bit easy because, fine, I totally get the like Michael Penix is going to get his. Roma Dunze is going to get his. When Jalen McMillan is healthy, he's going to get his. It, can we really say that like Dylan Johnson is like – you know, I don't know that we probably expected Dylan Johnson to take over the game the way that he did. I think that was disappointing. I think or Washington would have lost this game. Oregon would have beaten them if they had if they had kept the running game in check and they just got pushed around. But it's not because of Oregon's defense that Dylan Johnson like had an elite game. Like it, it's, a, it's it's a both it's ways thing. Both, but what do you mean? It's not because yeah, it was a both ways but thing. Like Dylan Johnson in his own right, had a good shirt, sure, but we're talking he's, about Oregon. He's gone for four yards of carry the last four weeks. Yes. Like that's not, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, Reed, do you have a response to that? I mean, I feel like you've, you, I mean, it's fair if you think it was like a good performance, but I'm curious to hear what you think. I don't think it was a dominant performance, but I think they got a lot. Oregon's defensive line got a lot of miles on them early in this game yep. because the offense didn't execute mm-hmm. and because they got a little banged up and that like, I, that's not an excuse. I'm just trying to, if people are genuinely like what the hell happened, which is fair because just last week we saw Oregon hold Damian Martinez to, you know, like 34 yards. So like <laughs> that is very hard to square in your head. I think for everyone, why did that happen then? Why did, why was Washington having so much success? Part of it, like Avery's had 100% totally huge credit to Washington, but they're all their line owns. It really yeah. does. Um, but if you were looking at just like, you know, a video game, what's the stamina meter for those guys on the Oregon defensive front? It was clear in the third and fourth quarter that, that they were running on empty because of how many snaps they'd had to be out there. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I also wonder what the game plan looked like and how much the players necessarily believed in it. Cause first quarter, like Oregon defensively was on their heels. Like they were not playing downhill. They were not flying to anything. 
And that to me, you know, obviously it shows in the time of possession as far as Washington was able to really just like run the ball down their throats. I, to me, I saw it from the first quarter, like not even stamina related. They just, Oregon was not the aggressive defense that I think that they were against Oregon state. Right. Like, and obviously a lot of that has to do with Washington's balance and the fact that if you're the linebackers, you really have to be prepared to play sideline to sideline. Yeah. So a little different than uh, yeah. Oregon State. Just, just slightly, just slightly. <laughs> Romo Dunze slightly, <laughs> slightly different than Silas Bolden. Shout out, <laughs> shout out Silas. No, but, uh, um, any other thoughts about Oregon here before we transition to talk about this game as a whole? Uh, feels like we exhausted our our thoughts yeah. on Oregon. Uh, this was uh, a Washington mag- beat ass man. Like they Washington beat ass. They really did. Like you know, it's like I don't really. I I, I think it's the whole like oh you know well, Washington won this game. No, they Oregon didn't lose that that sort of shit is kind of silly and dumb because it's usually both sides here. But it really did. I felt more impressed coming. I felt more impressed by Washington than I was disappointed in Oregon. Um, I was like, I'm somewhat disappointed in Oregon, but I was very much like, oh shit, Washington just is is a legit team. Yeah, they're like I, scary. They're scary yeah. good. I do want to say too, like I think, and I don't know how great these teams are. We'll see in the playoff. I'm I'm excited to see what happens and in, in whatever bowl game Oregon goes to. Tulane. Um. Yeah, we are like scarred as Pac-12 fans, I think, and often downgrade our own success. But like if this was Georgia and Alabama and Alabama had ran through a bunch of teams all season and they lost two three point games to Georgia, everyone would and Georgia had a resume like Washington does, like everyone would say, you know, in this hypothetical, like Washington's the number one team and Oregon's probably the second best teams in the nation. Like that's what those fan bases do all Absolutely. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and, and I, it, I've been doing it and everyone yeah. calls me crazy. Everyone's like, Oh, shut the fuck up. But I do think they're the two yeah. best teams in the country. Having seen no other teams <laughs> in the country. You know what? To be fair, the people who are saying Georgia are one and two in the country also have not seen any other teams <laughs> in the country. So we're not even, we're not even playing field here. That is extremely, fucking true I, <laughs> like, oh my god um yeah no i mean i i think I, I think you're right reed like we downgrade these things and people will point to the past back 12 playoff performances of which there were only uh, two i guess three games two appearances um washington got its ass kicked by alabama but that washington team i still have many thoughts about 2016 washington I'm, we don't have to go on a diatribe on 2016 washington but like <laughs> this 2023 washington team is much better to me than 2016 Washington. Truly, I I believe that. Yeah. Um, and 2014 Oregon, people are going to point to, oh, well, they got their ass kicked by Ohio State. They have upgraded in talent like three or four times. Like the amount, they have three or four. That This 2023 Oregon team, hell, last year's 2022 Oregon team probably beats the shit out of 2014 Oregon just because they're more talented and because, you know, defenses have caught up to what they were doing back then. So, like, I think it's not the same. I think I don't think you can look at their past playoff performances and say, oh, yeah, 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 you know, what? they're, they're going to get their ass kicked again. I don't believe that. Washington's a legit team. And Oregon would be competitive. If they had, if they had won this game, they, they both should have deserved a playoff spot. I had always said that Washington had clinched a playoff spot. They should have clinched a playoff spot. And Oregon would have uh, also been in it. I think they probably should, both should have been in it. So I think that's a great point that we underrate and and damage these teams' reputation a little bit. Uh, real quick, this is the last Pac-12 football game. Yeah, the last Pac-12 championship game. We'll do some eulogizing when the when the last Pac-12 team plays its final game in a bowl season. But I'm curious to hear from y'all real quick, starting with Avery. Where does this 
title game rank for you among all-time Pac-12 title games? Is it the best one? Is it top five? Is it even that high? Man, it's so hard because, like, my little heart, the Utah game in 2021, like, changed my life. So that, was like, <laughs> fun. that was funny. That was extremely <laughs> funny. That was entertaining for sure. But I think, like, outside of that, as, like, in an outside perspective in general, looking, pulling up the games, like, we've had some pretty pathetic conference championship yeah, games we have, over yeah. the last 12 years. would like a word. Right. <laughs> Defensive masterclass. But I... <laughs> At, from an enjoyment perspective, I feel like this was the most enjoyable game. It had the most on the line, like looking at these other games, like when were we in a situation where both of these teams could have made it to the playoffs? Yeah. Like very rarely. And I think that just matters so much more. And the fact that it wasn't a blowout, it was close. It, it just made it a better game. And I think that's what conference championship game should be. So yeah, this is in my opinion, the best conference championship game of Pac-12 era. Yeah, it's the only top five matchup in the Pac-12 in the Pac-12 championship game, which is sort sort of unfortunate. There's been many top five teams in participating, but first top five matchup for sure. Um, Matt, what do you think? What's your yeah, 2012 is the only one that even deserves an argument, really, as far as the championship games go. Uh, even like your your 20. Um, Oh, shit. What was it? 2014? 20... Nope. Not that one. <laughs> not Oregon, Arizona. <laughs> Definitely. <Nope. laughs> I'm looking. There was... Yeah, 2017 was the back door. Like, mm-hmm. as far as that game even being close, USC controlled that thing the whole time. So... I, I definitely think that you talk about the stakes of it all as far as this actually being for a playoff, like, nationally relevant game. You talk... Because even, even in 2012, like, Stanford wasn't there, right, as far as really cont- contending for the national title that year. So, um, absolutely. It's definitely... I You said some shit about it being the best Pac-12 game ever, which we need to get to, but... I only said... I said if Oregon had managed to pull it off and win. I do think uh, that. Yeah, I think there's an argument there. Oregon pulling it off and winning versus like it not even being in the top five yeah. is like it can't. It, no, Oregon pulling that off and winning doesn't all of a sudden vault it, vault it like it 10 spots. I think it, it totally does. I think it totally does. Like, <laughs> like having that, having that come want. back. Yeah, coming back twice. Not I think Carlos, not anything Carlos wants. This could be a reality that you create. <laughs> Reed, what about you? Where does this rank in, among Pac-12 title games all time? Yeah, I'd, it's clearly the best one. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, absolutely. I think, honestly, the only two others... I mean, 2012 was compelling. Um, And then I would say... I think 2019 and 2022 Fuck were off. <laughs> they were both compelling games because an underdog came out and, like, pushed the other team around, and it was surprising. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, this one had the same thing kind of happen, but was just a much closer back-and-forth more exciting teams between two teams that had even higher aspirations and more on the line than either of those games had. So uh, yeah, I mean, easily, I think this is number one. Yeah. Greg, you agree easily number one for you for sure. Yeah. Okay. I complained in our Patreon episode last week about this being a rivalry game. Cause I thought it was going to kind of like muddy how this felt, but I was wrong about that. And I'm going to apologize. I feel like <laughs> this being a rivalry game just made it so much more exciting. It really than did. If it was just the Pac-12 South versus the Pac-12 North team. And I really wish we would have gotten rid of this division situation a long time ago, but I, I actually really enjoyed the rivalry aspect because that's what college football is about. Oh, I think it heightened everyone's it was, anxiety it by 10. Yeah, it heightened everyone's anxiety by 10. I do want to make an argument for 2012. I think I think this game, I guess, was better. 
here's the thing 2012 stanford ucla uh one of the worst actually the most painful bat football game i've ever fucking watched in my entire life <laughs> that, can't uh, be true. that is actually true the football game wise oh yeah this is this is that one is that one hurts uh and oh. it hurts in retrospect when ucla has not gotten back to the pac-12 title game since uh, that is game that was right? actually that game was actually pretty back and forth i felt like ucla controlled the game for much of that one and then stanford sort of stormed back and ripped out ucla's hearts um that one had like you know game game tying game potential game tying field goal that was missed uh late touchdown from stanford that uh that kevin hogan converted um that one had a lot of stuff i feel like as a game maybe i was just more emotionally invested in it i felt like as a game it was better but uh this one had higher stakes this one had the rivalry aspect which just again you know made it just just heightened the entire thing right is like you could tell the nervous energy among, among both washington and oregon fans it was not just that washington needed to win this game to go to the playoff it's that it needed to beat this team and oregon needed to it wasn't just about winning and trying to go to a playoff it was about not getting your ass handed to you by washington again um that stuff heightened it like i think the and you could tell in the environment you can tell with the people around that like it was it was like so mixed up in these two teams being competitive and playing one another and being rivals. I think it was fantastic. I think it was a great game. I, I will say that I I've been told that UW fans have been nice in the past in other scenarios. The rivalry game brought out the absolute worst in these fans. Like <laughs> holy fuck. So true. These people were so loud and annoying. Yeah. It was uh, awful. And that's their God given right. As an undefeated team. Right. Act like an asshole. Say whatever the fuck oh you want. God, I man. really wish we'd gotten some undefeated chance from you dub i get that it's not the end but it would have been really fucking annoying for oregon fans <laughs> the, woofs, the woofs were plenty annoying they Thank were you. really annoying it's fun to woof. yeah it was the oh god yeah the woofing was making me hey no shout by the way we didn't get a fucking shout yeah, that was stupid. at allegiant stadium what were they doing we got a moment of loudness last year for utah yeah i think we got a i think we got might have gotten a moment of loudness for utah in 2021 yeah, as well we did. yeah why didn't we get a shout at allegiant stadium would have changed everything <laughs> See, my theory is that they went to the schools and they said, what do you want to do for your third quarter tradition? And obviously Oregon was like, we're going to do shout. And then Washington said, we don't have a tradition. And they just scrapped the whole thing. Yeah. And then they did their stupid fucking turn your hands to the right. Turn your hands to the left. Turn on your phone lights. Stupid <laughs> shit. Stupid. Allegiant stadiums in stadium shit needs to, needs to change. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk about USC beating UCLA in an off week. We'll talk about the transfers. We'll do much, much more Pac-12 discourse. But for now, take a quick break. Don't leave us. Pac-12 sickos, I finally got my UCLA bomber jacket from Homefield Apparel. And this shit is so slick. Totally worth the wait. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's hefty. It's perfect, especially for the uh, winter months that are coming up. This jacket is super well-made, super comfy. I will absolutely be wearing this to any and every UCLA basketball game I go to. And maybe some other non-UCLA games too. I think that would be kind of funny. Uh, Homefield has bomber jackets for dozens of other schools if you're not a UCLA fan, including several Pac-12 schools like Arizona State, Colorado, USC, Washington State, uh, and several others. But you might want to nab one quick because they do seem to be selling out fairly quickly. Arizona and Washington, for example, have had their bomber jackets sell out already. So go check it out at homefieldapparel.com. My only other note is that you might want to buy these in a size larger than you normally do. They do run 
pretty small, so try getting one in a size, size larger than you normally do. Even if you get one that doesn't quite fit though, Homefield has been super accommodating when it comes to exchanges. I got a bomber jacket in my normal size, and it was a little too small, and the Homefield team hooked me up with a quick and easy exchange just like that. Uh, it was fantastic experience. Anyway, these jackets own. Get yourself or someone you love one of these. I am certain they won't regret it. Thank you to Homefields for creating these beautiful Pac-12 bomber jackets and for sponsoring this podcast. Welcome back. Let's move on to talk about some news here. We've got two pieces of coaching news that we absolutely have to address. <sighs> First one, just fucking insane stuff here. Uh, USC poached defensive coordinator Denton Lynn from Westwood from UCLA, hiring him as their new defensive coordinator. Danton Lynn uh, was offered $2.2 million a year, I think was the reporting by USC, a figure that UCLA actually matched. Um, but in the end, Lynn decided to pick USC. Lynn, uh, respond, for those who don't know, Dan Lynn, the defensive coordinator at UCLA, responsible for dramatically improving UCLA's defense from bottom 20 in the country to top 10 by most metrics. And now he plays, he replaces the beleaguered Alex Grinch at USC. Let's start with the USC side of this before we get to UCLA, because there's plenty of talk about there. Uh, we'll start with Avery here. Avery, do you like this hire for USC? And do you think Dan Lynn is going to improve USC's defense like next year? Yeah, I mean... I, I think a lot of people would be better than Alex Grinch. I think yeah. I would have been a good hire <laughs> compared to Alex Grinch. I think I could teach a defense how to tackle. Um, yeah, I think it's a great hire. I think it's a hilarious hire to take it from your rivalry. That's a good way to heat things up in a rivalry that's been cold. Um, but, yeah, I think it was a good hire. I think it was an easy hire to look across town and be like, hey, look, there's a defensive coordinator that has been doing good. So... <laughs> Matt, what did you think? The little brother shit here is hilarious. Oh, Otherwise, like, no, I don't think they're going to be any better. I can't wait to see how Lincoln Riley fucks this up still. Okay, okay. <laughs> like, okay. I just, I think it'll be the exact same shit. I yeah. Mean, the we, bar is on the floor, so. <laughs> we talked a little bit about how good of a job that actually is. Reed, what do you think of, of USC poaching Dan Lynn from UCLA? Yeah, I definitely think that Grinch is bad. So I, I think that we've at least seen Lynn have a very good defense this year. Um, but I still think like it's kind of just one of the criteria for what a good DC is. And I think like him, yeah, he gets almost a hundred percent credit for his one year this year doing really good. Um, but at the same time, I'm not sure that he's an elite recruiter. We don't know really. Um, I'm not sure what he will do without a, very talented defense that he had at UCLA this year. Guys like Leatu Latu aren't at USC right now. Um, so we'll see. I think there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions about how deep Lincoln Riley's commitment or lack thereof goes on the defensive side, what he puts into tackling drills to making his teams actually play physical football. Um, I don't know. I definitely think it can still be bad. I definitely think it's not the type of hire that a lot of USC fans tried to talk about it being with it, you know, Manny Diaz, Pete Kwiatkowski, Glenn Schumann from Georgia, like ridiculous names were thrown out there. This is a good hire, but I think a lot of guys turned this job down clearly. So I don't know. That says something to me. Greg, what do you think about this hire for USC? Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. The fact that we heard so many names and it seems pretty clear, like Reed said, that a lot of guys turned the job down because one challenge that 
Danton Lynn's going to have is he's going from Chip, who plays pretty complimentary football, to Lincoln, who sabotages his defense at every opportunity. <laughs> oh, I, I, I think we're doing some revisionist history here about Chip Kelly and his defenses. I think I... I, okay, so I think Chip's offense is far more friendly to his defense than Lincoln Lincoln's. I, I suppose so. I th- so here's here's how I feel about it. Number one, Chip's offense versus Dante Moore being <laughs> fair to the defense. <laughs> yeah, come on now. Um, I, I think uh, here's the thing. Uh, Dan Lynn, I think, should absolutely take a hundred percent of the credit. It was literally the same roster from last year, entirely defensively, like this almost this identical two deep. That was a bottom 20 defense. And with those same players, turn them into a top 10 defense. So, like, I don't, we have a pretty clear experimental sort of, we can make a causal chain that Dan Lynn affected some of that. So, I, I think in that regard, it's like you've seen a dude take players that were bad and turn them good. Um, and that is a, a real, like, thing that happened. The, uh, the downside of that is that he actually had a lot, a defense that had a lot of continuity and actually some promising pieces. Like, UCLA's pass rush was pretty good last year it was their secondary that was for a couple of years now complete dog shit it was like a pretty good pass rush and one of the worst secondaries in the in the conference if not the worst secondary in the conference those two things are paired together so in some ways dan lynn was like what if i take the good pass rush and keep that and maybe amplify that a little bit with some clever blitzes and then just develop defensive backs, teach them how to tackle and stay in front of dudes. And, you know, if you're going to give a big play, make sure you don't miss a bunch of tackles, like basic shit. He taught them how to tackle. I think UCLA's tackling has been much better this season. Uh, linebacker, I felt like Darius Musa had a really nice, uh, the linebacker, middle linebacker for UCLA or, you know, whatever, Mike linebacker for UCLA. Um, he had a really nice, he was not great last year. I think he got a lot of love because he had a lot of tackles but missed and whiffed on a lot of stuff. He was not doing that this year. I think he was a really good leader. I think he developed a lot and really nicely under Dan Lynn. But it was an experienced defense with a ton of continuity, a lot of players returning, a lot of seniors. Dan Lynn was smart to leave UCLA because all of those players will be gone. Yeah. They, there will be nothing left defensively for UCLA. And Chip Kelly's not going to recruit good players to replace them. This was like, a, if you're Dan Lin, this is like a fucking brilliant move because USC will ha- will lose a good amount of talent, but they'll have some stuff there. Bell- Bear Alexander probably will be back uh, next season. Um, I think they've also bring. I think they're bringing back Kalen Bullock, right? Yeah, he's a junior. Assuming he doesn't go yeah, to the I NFL, I think he's going to the draft. If he goes to the draft, I guess he'll he'll be gone. Um, uh, Damani Jackson will be back, and that he's a talented player who I think um, could could be a problem. If Eric Gentry comes back, I'd be curious to see what he does with him. Like, there's there's pieces there that are there for Dan Lin. To sort of effect um but we also don't know what dan lynn looks like when he doesn't have a super experience like defense with filled with nothing but like 50 year players who all played at ucla last year in this environment and aren't transitioning into a new school like that is probably the downside with dan lynn is that there's a lot of unknowns um the other part of it is i kind of think i sort of think that like oh you know lincoln riley ruins defenses like I would I would argue Chip Kelly is a good good practice for that because Chip Kelly has not in his five six year tenure up until this year has not prioritized a, his defense or seemed to give a shit about that defense for quite some time. He held on to Jerry Azanero for four years, 
three years too long, frankly. Uh, hired Bill Musgrave, rest in peace. He seemed to do okay for four years and then, you know, sort of handed it off uh, And uh, when he got sick. Um, and that defense fell off a cliff. Like, he's had, Chip Kelly has had horrific dog shit defenses for his first five years, and this year had a really good one. So I, I think that part of it is overblown, but I do think that, like, there's some unknowns. There's some question marks. Like, is he going to do that? I will say, Reed, I don't know anything about the Big Ten or the Big Ten West, but Reed was telling me that, you know, getting Jim Leonard or who was the other defensive coordinator out of the, the Nebraska defensive Tony White. Tony White. Reed was telling me, like, yeah, I don't know, Big Ten West, all the offenses suck there, so, like, their defenses, their defensive metrics are inflated. Okay, well, you get an, a, an off- a defensive coordinator that actually performed well against some good offenses, um, against some similar offenses that, I guess they won't play them next year, but that we know have some pretty good offenses. So I like, uh, you know, I think it's, I don't, I think it's a good hire. I think it's, I don't know that it's like, you know, the best absolute hire, but no one's making those hires. No one's hiring Jimmy Lake. No one's hiring Kwiatkowski. Like no one's hiring those dudes except the current, their current employers. So, well, why not? Compared to some of the other coordinators that are being hired by Pac-12 head coaches, I think this is a very good hire. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about this from the UCLA perspective. Uh, because this was a disastrous outcome for the Bruins a, a week or so removed from basically saying that they're going to retain Chip Kelly for another season. I'm not even sure what question to ask here, except uh, Avery, we'll start with you. What was your reaction to watching UCLA lose its prized defensive coordinator to its crosstown rival? Um, I didn't have much of a reaction because I don't really care. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um, uh, Reed, did you have any thoughts about this from the UCLA? Carlos, just say your reaction. I'm fucking give a mad. Shit. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> Fuck this. I can't believe. What are we doing here? <laughs> I I like can't. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't fucking would, understand. Would you, would you consider this a serious football program? <laughs> would you? I just, I think it's so fucking ridiculous. And honestly, in some depraved kind of way, so fucking funny that UCLA is keeping Chip Kelly for an extra year when they know they're going, they're going to fire him next year. They know that. We know that. Everyone knows that. No one has any confidence that they're going to win eight, nine, ten games next year with all that they're losing. The writing's on the fucking wall. Uh, and now we're seeing the effects of that. They're losing players to the portal. Uh, good players. They're losing a ton of players to graduation. And now they've just had the only good thing that has happened to them this year in their defensive coordinator – a defensive coordinator that again turned UCLA's dog shit defense into something that was more than respectable, like very, very good, poached by their fucking rival, by USC. Like that does not happen often. And when it does, it's like nuclear levels of bad. Imagine if Alabama had an offensive coordinator that turned everything around and then Auburn fucking hired them as their offensive coordinator. Yeah, but Alabama's better than Auburn. That's not what USC okay, UCLA okay, is. Okay, okay, okay. So then the reverse then. <laughs> Auburn had an offensive coordinator and then Alabama takes them as their offensive coordinator it's not like usc if usc hired dan lynn as their head coach and like it was after clay Helton, i'd be like that fucking sucks he poached him but he went for a better job he went for the same fucking job for the same fucking salary that's fucking you should, as if you're a ucla fan you should be like what the fuck is happening here that is that is if we were in if we i will say if this were like oregon oregon state washington washington state and like they just poached a coordinator that was like oh hey thanks for showing us that guy was pretty good like Cool. Thank you. We'll take that. There'd be like fucking nuclear war happening right now. 
This is crazy. And like UCLA is going to retain Chip Kelly. This is fucking nonsense. I think it's crazy. I think it's nonsense. It is crazy. It's it's absurd. <laughs> it, it, Let's talk about something else crazy. Any other thoughts about uh, No, we Dan don't Lynn. give a shit about UCLA <laughs> being 10th in the Big Ten. <laughs> Let's talk about what actually okay, matters one more now. Thing about UCLA God being tenth in the Big Ten. I don't think they're going to be tenth in the Big Ten. How many Big Ten teams are there? A lot, like, like twenty-three. Then I they will be twenty-three. <laughs> uh, I do think. I do think that this is a, like a bad omen. I, I I have said this on Twitter. They're on zero and twelve watch. We've next always year. we've That's long insane. said UCLA is the Rutgers of the West. They are on zero and twelve <laughs> watch, big time. And frankly, <laughs> them going zero and twelve, I think zero and twelve might be good for them. Like genuinely, I think zero and twelve might either tell them, oh, okay, we we don't give a shit about football anyway, or it might get them people to care. Don't know, but I, either one of those would be great. Um, all right, let's move on to this other uh, insane coordinator decision hiring thing. Tell, Kenny Dillingham. We know that he fired Bo Baldwin after initially giving him play calling duties and then ripping those play calling duties away in week three, which is, I think we all agree, a good decision. But he made two bad decisions, one hiring Bo Baldwin to giving him play calling duties, something that we all knew that we were like, why the fuck is he doing that? He's literally known for being a good play caller. Uh, he fires Bo Baldwin and hires former Oregon offensive coordinator Marcus Arroyo. If you don't remember Marcus Arroyo, Marcus Arroyo was the off, I think the last offensive coordinator under Mario Cristobal. Is that right? No, uh, that's he was not with right. Herbert, oh, that's and then right. he got the UNLV head coach. He was job. with Herbert, the one that we all said, the one that made Justin Herbert look mostly kind of like decent and ordinary. Uh, that one, uh, the one to take the UNLV head coaching job, got fired from that job and is now going to be Kenny Dillon Ham's offensive coordinator. Uh, th- this is fucking silly beyond belief, but let's go to read why is this so goddamn silly? Silly dilly. Marcus, I, I don't have words really for <laughs> how bad Marcus Arroyo was at Oregon. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> it was just atrocious uh, every single time. That offensive line with Justin Herbert, I don't care what else you have. <laughs> like, that should have been a really good offense. Um, yeah, Marcus Arroyo was horrible. I mean, it's just running it up the middle with pistol every fucking time and Thank goodness Oregon had one of the best offensive lines in Pac-12 history that year because that's the only reason that that offense worked like at all. <laughs> um, yeah, this j- just an insane hire. I mean, I don't, I don't really see it. I think if there's one silver lining, and this is not a justification for hiring someone at all, but there is the Mario Cristobal association tax there, you know, I mean, it's the same, it's the same reason why Herbert was a good pick. It's the same reason why maybe Tyler Van Dyke will improve at an, at a new stop. If you're with Cristobal in an offense, there is a a chance that once you leave him, you will improve dramatically. Um, (laughs) And so because of that, maybe, maybe there's a world where this isn't as bad as we think, but I don't know. I mean, it's not like Chris Ball's calling plays. Um, yeah, it's it's really not good. I don't get it at all. Marcus Royal kind of he was brought onto the Oregon staff because he was supposed to recruit Texas. Kind of never really Weird. happened. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling that maybe that's a similar reason. Like Dilly, it would make all the sense thing. in the world to try to recruit Texas, but I don't. 
I don't know. I don't like it at all. I mean, I, is there a chance? Is there a chance here that Kenny Dillingham has no intentions to hand over play calling duties to Marcus Arroyo, and also is like, hey, I need. I'm a new head coach. I'm very young. I just need to surround myself with dudes who have head coaching experience. Like, is there a chance that that's like he's a figurehead? Unless he uh, is getting paid so little, how is that worth it? Because you yeah. have so much to do as a head coach. That obviously, I think Kelly, Kenny Dillingham should be involved in the play calling in some capacity because he's brilliant. He should be the play caller. But I, like, it's, it's a lot to ask for a head coach to do that every game when there's so much more going on, you know. And I think, coaches do it. I don't know. I, I don't guess. think that's that great. Lincoln Riley does it. Chip Kelly does it. How much do you think he's? How much do you think he's going to pay him? Yeah, it probably it not a lot. We are like hearing really low. I think I think we are hearing from Arizona State people that there is not a lot of money for their assistant pool. Um, and I think, you know, I think that's probably, this is probably some part of that at the same time. It's like, if you don't have a lot of money for your assistant pool, promote like an, uh, your like no name quarterbacks coach. Like this is what, this is what like head coaches who are like offensive savants do is they just have like a figurehead offensive coordinator. It's, it's like quarterbacks coach slash coach offensive coach, coordinator. Definitely. Why would you have Marcus Arroyo do that? Like you that's, that's not a weird figurehead choice though. Yeah. I would like, no, it's you, not. It's why not. Would you better want, options for yeah. that. Why would you want the experience of a man who sucked shit? <laughs> as one job at UNLV. Like, who cares? That's not valuable experience. I agree. I don't know. I believe that we should let Kenny Dillingham cook. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know what he's cooking, but it will taste good in the end, so. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, T-Dog425 said this was like when UW hired John fucking Donovan. Do we, agree? do we agree this is at that level of hire? I not think, quite I because think that bad. he's an offensive guy. So like if it goes badly, he can just take That's over. Yeah. Jimmy Lake couldn't do that, <laughs> but it's like a similar level of bad yeah. coach. Yeah. yeah. The track record isn't quite as long. I, I think my, they're similarly bad, but my confidence interval in John Donovan was a little tighter. I thought he was definitely bad. I think Marcus Arroyo is the same level of bad, but maybe Maybe there's the Cristobal stench factor in there that could be couldn't prove. I don't know. Matt, you got any? Let you got to cook. Hey, that's let it. Just, Dilly just cook. let Dilly cook. Full You're being too mean. This is gonna work. He, he cooked with Bo Baldwin. Full confidence. This is gonna work. It didn't turn out very well with Bo Baldwin. No, no. no. I think Dilly he cook. learned valuable lessons. Yeah, clearly yeah. not. Yeah, he clearly did not <laughs> learn those lessons. No. Virgins must be allowed to explore in a safe space, and I think we need to provide that. No in safe space. Arizona State University. <laughs> um, yeah, here's the thing. Kenny Dillingham really should be the one calling play. Kenny Dillingham is a prolific play caller. I think he's an amazing. He was an amazing play caller this year. Had absolutely nothing to work with. His offensive line was decimated. Uh, his quarterbacks were decimated as a result. Like he had absolutely nothing to work with, and still managed to squeeze something out of those players. Like he was. I mean, it got to the point where it was like, hey, I'm just gonna like start my tight end at quarterback and have him take half the snaps at quarterback because we're just gonna get weird and run and do a bunch of crazy shit and it, it mostly worked I, it got him in it, it was good enough his play calling alone got him two of his three wins this season and we're, we're competitive in several other games did they get their ass kicked by really good teams yeah they got their ass kicked by really good teams but uh they were you know th they won them some games so anyway I, I if kenny dillingham is not calling plays here he this is a, a horrific decision like i don't know what he wants to be you know if he's like what did they hire him for his play calling he's an offensive play caller great schemer just do that it's ridiculous uh one other piece of news here before we get to transfers it just got brought up in the chat so we should talk about it washington state and oregon state officially uh, entering into a scheduling agreement with the mountain west 
Uh, each Mountain West team will schedule one of Washington State or Oregon State next season. Uh, Washington State and Oregon State will play seven Mountain West teams each. Uh, they've also got a couple of non-conference games. Their rivals, I believe, Oregon, Oregon State might continue. Washington, Washington State confirmed to continue next year in Seattle. But uh, they are paying the Mountain West $14 million total, not each total, so $7 million each to schedule these seven Mountain West teams per school. Matt, let's start with you. How do you feel about this scheduling alignment as you look up Las Vegas Golden Knights tickets? This is way more important. <laughs> I, the finances of it, I think, are very overblown as far as compared to what like your UCLA, USC are going to be paying in travel, specifically Cal and Stanford paying in travel. Like I think that people are missing that when you talk about, oh, we're paying our Mountain West teams to like pay, to play like yes this is how this shit works like this isn't abnormal so i definitely think that like that part is very much overblown otherwise like the idea of like you need to be able to play games and like this is just kind of how we've seen this going i think that this is obviously built out of the lawsuits that are going on and being able to like having to maintain some sort of semblance of we're not in the big in the mountain west we haven't left like surely this is our own conference <laughs> so otherwise like this just this is the natural progression it just sucks hopefully they can maintain a pac-12 long enough for everybody else to grow the fuck up and come back Grapes, you have thoughts about Oregon State, Washington State going to the Mount or not going to the Mount West, scheduling with the Mount West? It was their only option. Like it's not even their fault. It's really frustrating that they have to pay this money. Hopefully they get all of the Pac twelve revenue. Like it's a fucked up situation that they shouldn't have to be in. And I mean that's that. It it sucks. But I'm yeah. glad they figured it out because it's it was their best option at this point. I believe they are using the uh, remaining Pac-12 revenue to pay for this, so it's not coming out of their pockets. So that's that's good. I think it's probably a stopgap for them to figure out, you know, how they're going to integrate with the Mountain West over the next couple of years. Uh, they've got an option here to do it for a second season if they need more time. They have two years. Oregon State, Washington State does to stay in a conference you know, uh -huh. technically before they have to like disband the conference or join some other one. Um, but that gives them some time, I think, to figure out what the logistics of doing something with the Mountain West, merging with the Mountain West, joining the Mountain West, whatever it is, um, that gives them some time to figure that out. So, uh, any other thoughts about this before we move on here to talk about some transfers? All right, let's do it then. Let's talk about some transfer portal news. Portal, portal uh, opened up and a flood of players in the Pac-12 entered the portal. A few notable gnomes, gnomes, notable names here. Jalen Conyers, tight end to ASU. He's entered the portal along with uh, ASU defensive back Jordan Clark. DJ Uyunglele has also entered his name into the portal after a year with Oregon State. Ari Patu and EJ Smith at Stanford go portaling, as does highly touted freshman quarterback Dante Moore. Uh, at UCLA, along with fellow Bruins, Keegan Jones, Carson Ryan, and Cam Brown. Washington State, uh, they have Cam Ward and Josh Kelly. They're two star players from that offense this season. They have entered the transfer portal. And then finally, Relique Brown from USC, uh, their running back, third string running back, really, this year. He has entered the portal. So lots of big names here entering the portal. But, Reed, let's start with you. What do you think is the most prized transfer recruit, the biggest name so far in this class? It has to be the quarterbacks for me. And a big storyline of this season has been Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, all of them going to be gone next year. I think all three of those programs could be involved with any number of the recruits that are or any number of these players that are in the portal. Um, I mean, Cam Ward, most experienced offense, a guy that can plug and play might be the best quarterback in the portal right now overall. Dante Moore is a guy I think like 
has a Heisman ceiling if he gets plugged in the right place. I mean, him at like Washington or Oregon, I think, mm-hmm. with a good offensive mind and a good line in front of him, maybe he figures it out and kind of unlocks all the talent that he flashed early on. Um, you know, Cam Ward could go to Oregon or USC, I think. I think DJU, if Oregon misses on other quarterbacks, I think they're going to try to bring someone in. They obviously have his brother there already. So if they just want a stopgap for one year, a guy who's experienced, that could even happen. I don't know. Um, but I think all those all those quarterbacks uh, definitely could make an impact and are probably guys that will start eventually or immediately at the program that they go to. What about you, Avery? You got a pick for most, I don't know, most the, the most prized recruit, the biggest name. Like, what do you what do you think? I am unfortunately a Cam Ward defender. And I have been for two years now, and I haven't I haven't received much in return for that. <laughs> I am due. And I need Cam Ward to go to Oregon. I am oh. one of Oregon's biggest haters, but if Cam Ward goes to Oregon, I will be quacking. I <laughs> I need Cam Ward behind a good offensive line just so I can finally either like put this to rest and get some sleep at night or point fingers at everyone and say see I was fucking right I've been right (laughs) I feel like he could be really good behind a good offensive line surrounded by talent because obviously he was not getting that at Washington State and I I would just really love to see that because I've been curious about that forever Um, Dante Moore is, is hilarious because of everything UCLA did to flip him and it meant nothing absolutely zero things I think it would be cool to see him at Washington because how Washington is structured, it's already for an immobile quarterback in Michael Penix, and we all know Dante Moore is not fucking moving. So like, maybe that could work. Maybe they could heal whatever UCLA did to the poor guy. <laughs> but I'm so excited about Cam Ward. I don't want him to go to USC because I do not think the offensive line will be good enough there. I do not think yeah. that will work out. Yeah. I, I would really love to see him at Oregon. Uh, Greg, what about you? I'm extremely intrigued by Dante Moore uh, going somewhere. Like, I really would love to see him in Washington's offense. That's or, interesting. Or hey, offense. Michael Penix and Dante Moore have very similar. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Like, I, like, listening to you guys talk about that, I was like, wow, that's good. But the name that I came up with is, of course, Jalen Conyers. The tight end is coming to Utah. Another big quarterback name for the. <laughs> 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 Next time when Utah loses five all five scholarship quarterbacks, we will have Jalen Connors there. <laughs> yeah, Utah's just gonna have a running back as their quarterback, their quarterback as their tight end. It's gonna be all over the place. Uh the safety as their wide receiver, just a crazy ass roster. Uh, Matt, what, what about you? I'm mostly just having a moment for the transfer portal era. The fact that like Washington and Oregon are desperate for a quarterback and like the I'm not necessarily saying that Cam Ward implies desperateness, like going and attacking that. I, I just, I'm just mostly having a moment of like these two programs don't really have a viable backup option and haven't for years. And that's, that sucks to me. Like that is, that is something that I am not sure how to feel about as far as where like college football is at currently. So yeah. that's really my main moment. Otherwise, like, cause I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm down on cam ward. Dante Moore isn't going to be immediately impactful. I agree that like Conyers is super interesting. I think Relique Brown is super interesting at one of the lower programs that doesn't have 17, five stars at wide receiver. And I think could be really interesting at an Arizona state, Utah, you know, th- that level of program I think could be really, really interesting for him. So 
Yeah. yeah. Real quick, uh, Reed, if you had, as an Oregon fan who was losing Bonex, by the way, to your point about the uh, transfer portal is totally right. I also think that's why it's going to be hard for like, you know, smaller teams or lesser teams to be able to move up because they're just getting their players poached in addition to backups being poached. But, but, but for quarterbacks, like those, those backups at those other schools are choosing to play at those at like, like the the Utah level of program is getting better quarterbacks because they're refusing to be backups at Oregon. That's true, right? Like that's right. crazy to me. Yeah, it's interesting. Reed, if you had your choice between uh, DJ Uyunglele and Dante Moore at Oregon, do you have a preference? Dante Moore, I think. Okay. Um, yeah. Or Cam been, Ward. Sorry. And, and, and Cam. Yeah, Cam Ward is interesting. I think year one. It really just depends. It's a bet on like what Oregon thinks of themselves year one in the Big Ten, right? I think. Dante Moore is going to help you more in 2025. Cam Ward is probably going to be the better quarterback next year. So that's kind of the question. Yeah. Um, real quick, we didn't get to this. I know that I'm being I'm being hurried or hurried along here, but I think uh, just well, I want to get people's reactions. Earlier this week, Trent Bray got hired as the Oregon State head coach. He was the defensive coordinator at Oregon State. Uh, for those who don't remember, turned 2021 Oregon State's defense into a top 10 defense in 2022, lost a bunch of players and sort of maintained, you know, respectability, top 30, top 25 uh, defense. Uh, Avery, your big old Oregon State honk. What do you uh, what do you feel about Trent Bray getting, getting hired at, as a head coach at Oregon State? I think this is the best hire they could have made for like a lot of reasons. Salary is a big part of it. They can't afford to pay a buyout. I mean, they probably could afford it, but it would be like scary hours. And you're going to retain a lot of the guys that you don't want transferring. You're still going to experience transfers because that's what happens when you lose your head coach. But like Aiden Childs hasn't hit the portal yet. And that's super hopeful because – he has a chance to be a really, really good quarterback. He was one of the best freshmen this year. And, like, hiring in-house, obviously it's a D.C., so you don't know what kind of relationship he has with the quarterback. But it's just going to keep your team together. And they and they need Aiden Childs to be good. So if that has any pull with Aiden Childs, which it seems like it might, that's huge. That's That's worth it by itself almost. Yeah. Any other thoughts about Trent Bray getting hired as head coach at defense as defensive uh, as head coach? I guess. Only option. Good yeah. job. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I had heard from Oregon State fans that like that was option number one, um, and I think that is right. I mean, you, he's proven he's there at Oregon State. Provide some continuity. Provide some stability. Players are less likely to leave. I also think he's a good coach. Like I think he was a great defensive coordinator. I'm curious to see how he manages the responsibilities as a head coach. As with any defensive coordinator, we say this all the time. Are they gonna is he gonna be able to hire an offensive coordinator and yeah. stay out of his way and not meddle? Right? Can he do that? We'll see. I'm I'm really curious. I think Oregon State uh, does still have a promising future. Damian Martinez has basically basically said he's coming back. Yeah. Although did have that DUI uh, on weed. I mean, it, that's a whole other thing. Uh, but he's coming back next year and said that he is going to. So that's a, a huge get. We'll see how that how that all ends up shaping out. All right, that's it. That's all we've got. We will be uh, back on Wednesday to talk about Pac-12 basketball at 5 p.m. Football content will be up on Patreon at NoTruckStops.com. We'll talk about you know other football stuff there, transfers, postmortems, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and, of course, tune in next week as we discuss bowl game selections, preview some of those, do some put more postmortem on the season, talk about the playoff, talk about Washington, preview what's ahead of them. Uh, but that's it. That's all we got for now. That's Avery. That's Reed. That's Matt. That's Greg. I'm Carlos. Thank you for joining us live. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you to Homefield for sponsoring this podcast. We'll see you next week. And remember, there are no truck stops here. Go Beeves. Go Beeves. Crowd in the cup.
said, I'm lonelier than a single sex on a quiet city street. Things aren't always green on the sunny side of the street. And I don't mind if the sun don't shine. Body weather suits me fine. Pour another glass of wine on the boat tonight. I think I'll be a superstar. 